Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors on this Thursday, December 7th edition of the program. Got a very exciting show for you guys as we're going to be joined by national 24-7 sports writer Chris Hummer. He covers coaching moves. He covers the transfer portal on a daily basis. He's worked for 24-7 sports for several years and we'll have him on the show to talk about the crazy landscape of college football as silly season continues with coaching moves everywhere and guys entering the portal left and right and now dominoes are starting to fall so we'll ask Chris Hummer about that we'll also talk to Chris about how three or four years ago he included John David Baker who was at USC at the time on his 30 under 30 coaching list we'll discuss John David Baker's quick rise and now the fact he's at an offensive coordinator position for the first time at East Carolina and get Chris's thoughts on that as somebody who doesn't cover the program firsthand. We're also scheduled to talk with Mark Yellock, former ECU defensive line coach. We're going to try to catch up with him here shortly, see if we can get him on the show. If we can't get him on at the start, we'll get him on the back half of the program, but always enjoy catching up with Mark and also... He used to work with John David Baker at North Texas, so we'll get Coach Yellock's thoughts on that as well. Some big news out of the American Athletic Conference today. Mike Oresco, the longtime commissioner, the only commissioner that the American has had in its 11-year history, is set to retire at the end of the 2023-24 academic year. So this news really just hitting out of nowhere and somewhat unexpectedly. And really, given Oresco's age, not a huge surprise that he is retiring, but usually when this stuff happens, you start to hear some rumors, uh, some things starting to spill out that this could be coming. So this one kind of hit out of nowhere. And it's a big loss. It's a big void for the American. I think Mike Oresco, like any person in a position of power, has caught some flack for one reason or another for various reasons. And yeah, there are some things he could have done better, but he has also done a lot for the conference in general. So I feel like this is some big shoes to fill. I think it's going to be one of those situations where the American has to hit on this next hire. We'll see what direction they go. And again, Oresco will fill the position till the end of the academic year in the summer. But it's one of those things where with Oresco, he has done so much from a television perspective because he has a background in ESPN, in television. He got ESP, he got the American a great ESPN TV deal. So I think he's going to be somebody that's sorely missed when his time officially comes to an end. But he, again, Mike Oresco will retire at the end of the academic year. We'll get into that more with Philip Pilkington, who's producing today shortly. All right, we've got Mark Yellock standing by. He is on the phone line. Coach, how's it going? Uh, how, how are you enjoying following all this? This madness that is uh, transfer portal, you know, coaching changes from afar right now. Yeah, it's it's, um, <laughs> it's it's wild, you know, and and kids. I guess you can say the kids have the rights to make that decision about what they want to do. You know, they they um they they have an opportunity to to venture out and see if they can find new opportunities and and everything. So I guess that's what the 
Like uh, this is just the new new age of of, of college football, like college sports altogether. No doubt, Coach. While we we're on the topic, and you can expand or you know not expand on this as much as you want, but you know, are, are you trying or interested in getting back into coaching? If the move is right for you and, and your family, what's kind of your you know your hope and your future in that regard? Well, you know, it, it, it just it'd be good if that if, if that happens to be a situation for me. You know, um, again, I, I've loved I love the sport, I love the coach, and love every aspect of it. So. No, that that'd be that'd be that'd be something I would definitely entertain um, if given the right opportunity. You know. Well, hey, if anybody's listening, uh, that is a coach out there and has an opening on their staff, give Mark Elock a call because uh, great coach, but even better man. So give him an opportunity. But uh, hey, we enjoy having you on Hoist the Colors in the meantime, Coach. And uh, you know, this has been a lot of fun this season. Of course, ECU's year didn't go how we wanted to. We'll get into that a little bit as well. But uh, first, one to get you on as well. We were texting during the offensive coordinator search because I heard John David Baker was going to be in the mix for the job, and then I started to look at his background. All right, he was at North Texas. Let me see when Coach Yellock was at North Texas after his time at ECU. Lo and behold, you guys crossed over pretty good. You had some very positive things to say about him at that time. So what do you remember about a younger John David Baker back then, and what do you make of this hire? Well, first of all, I've, you know that's the first person in my that came to my mind when – when all of this stuff was breaking down um, and everything, I, I, I felt that, you know, he's been underneath some some really, really good guys in, in, in the past. He's um, he's learned from those guys. He's played quarterback in, 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 in I think, in college. Um, he's just a sharp and just good person. I mean, like, number one, the ball coach. You know, he's one of those guys that will – I'll be there until midnight in order to get something, you know, saying greased out and aired out, and you know, get things solved. Um, he loves. He loves the. He doesn't. It's not about the flash for him, and that's one of the things that I that I that I've learned about him. Um, it's not about the flash. It's about the work, and it's about you know getting putting a good product on the field. And I think that that's that's one of the things that I kept I caught from him even back then, like. We've had many times where we would sit down and just talk football, talk football, talk life, talk everything when, when, when we were at North Texas together. And I was just so excited for him to be able to have the opportunities that he had. Um, because, um, you know, a lot of those things, he, a lot of those things, he, it wasn't foreseen. He didn't see that initially at North Texas, he did, you know, cause he was, he wasn't a position coach, but he was, he was a position coach, but they give him a lot of, free reign to do some things and uh, he was a quality control but they still gave him free reign to do some things over there and it was just good to see him being able to have his own and um and grow um throughout the years um this great i can't can't say oh man just top-notch dude and coach you you look at obviously he will be a first-time play caller he has had the co-oc title at old miss and he was you know had his own room at usc along with the uh, time as an analyst and quality control guy at north texas so when you look at kind of making that leap to being a first-time play caller i mean you've been around him firsthand so do you feel like he kind of has the the makeup to do that i mean there is an art to play calling but do you feel like he's kind of got the mind the makeup to do that yeah yeah i mean this guy's been playing playing this in his in his brain for years, you know. Even when I first met him, he he was he was doing those, you know, offensive coordinator ish 
type calls for himself. And and again, you you have to understand he's been around with some good coaches now, um, and that's that has called it, and and understand and learn underneath them. Um, so I, I don't, you know, and again. We say this all now. He's got to put, you know, just like with anything else, he's got to put in the work. He's got to get the right guys in there. He's got to get the right quarterbacks in there. He's got to get whatever the guys that fits within what he wants to do um, on offense and what fits the, 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 the talent that they have. Um, and, you know, all that stuff, I think he'll do a good job in. Um, I think they really can. That's what – I don't see any issues with him being a first-time caller. Everybody's got to be the first or at something. We're visiting with Mark Yellock, former ECU D-line coach. He was on staff at North Texas for a couple of years with John David Baker, who's the new OC at ECU. And, you know, you, you talked about his background, Coach Yellock. He was under Graham Harrell, Seth Luttrell at North Texas, under Graham Harrell, obviously, and Clay Helton at USC as, uh, you know, the OC and head coach. Then he goes on to Ole Miss, Lane Kiffin. Uh, was the, uh, the the head coach there? You know Jeff Levy, the OC there, who just got the head coach job at Mississippi State. So he has been under some elite offensive minds and, and you know different systems too. I mean, they kind of all have some similar components. But when you, as a defensive coach, when you try to practice against this type of stuff or you try to prepare for for a game, you know how, how difficult do you feel like you know the combination of kind of the air raid and what Ole Miss does? Like how, how lethal can that be if ECU is able to? You know, get the right pieces to execute this scheme. Well, it's very difficult because you know it's based upon um, what they do is they, they make best of what they what their talent is, right? So if they got a, if you notice, if they got a quarterback that can really spin it, then you're really in trouble. And if you got a quarterback that's okay, but you got some, you got a really good running back, then they're going to feature him. I mean, so they're going to utilize what they do and what they have, you know. So you know, if they got good receivers or they feel really good about the receiving core, then that's going to be a big feature. Um, it's really difficult because you, you've got a lot of, a lot of, there's a lot of one-on-one matchups. The tempo is there. I know I, I was, because um, Lane Kiffin was at FAU when um, we was at North Texas and we played them. And that's another connection there with, um, with uh, Baker there because of uh, Lane Kiffin and Baker was on North Texas at the time. Um, they just was just really fast. Probably one of the fastest offenses that that, that I that I've been across in the game. They they just really did a really good job, and I, I think that it fits what today's offenses are. So, um, I mean, he'll just he'll do a really good job. I mean, I I I, I have confidence in him to do so. So. Mark Yellock with us, uh, joining us via phone today. And Coach Yellock, you look at what's coming back defensively for ECU. You know, two and ten season. You know, if you're outside the program and don't follow it closely, maybe you could say, well, there's no way they turn around big and in, in, you know over one off season. But now with the portal, you know, finding a quarterback will clearly be key. But with the defense coming back, you know, we assume Blake Harrell will be back, and uh, you know, this offense coming in. What do you feel like are the realistic chances ECU can have a pretty big turnaround next year? Get this thing back on track. Oh, I mean, they got a really good chance because next year is next year, right? You know, it doesn't matter about what you did the past year; it's about what you're doing now to prepare for the next year, right? Now, um, again, you can address your needs, and and here's the thing about the portal. Now, I mean, yes. You have all these portal things, but you got to make good decisions on this portal. 
because there's a lot of stuff that's out there that, that, that may look shiny and good, but doesn't fit your program. So you have to, you know, this, this season, <laughs> this part of the season is really important, not just to get the best athletes, but to make sure you get the best character for your team also. And somebody who's going to work hard. It doesn't make sense to, you know, you get this transfer reporter guy and you throw him all this money and he turns around and he's not produ- producing. He's not, he's not the guy. So, you know, so you, it's some of that too, you have to do a good job at. But to answer your question, yeah, they can turn this thing around. Um, look at what's going on with UNLV like this past season. Look what's going on with New Mexico State. Look what's going on with a lot of teams that, that, that once were, didn't win a lot of games previously, but all of a sudden they're playing for a conference championship or they're going to a, a, a bowl game. You know, so, I mean, each year is different. I think, I think they can address the needs and only the coaches right now. We can say what their needs are, but the, only the coaches know what their needs are going to be because we're not in house. And they can go from there and get those guys or, Make other or get the guys they have already in the program better, you know. So, develop. Yeah, and we've we've talked a lot about in the past, coach. You know, development at East Carolina always going to be crucial. Find a way to supplement that with the right pieces in the portal, also crucial. You know, how, how tough is it as a coach right now to balance culture? you know, needs, talent, all that sort of stuff with, with you know, there, there's naturally so much selfishness with this NIL stuff and the, the portal. Everybody's looking out for their own self-interest. When you're a position coach in a room or even trying to be a head coach, like it's got to be tough to keep that culture in line and find that balance, right? Yeah, it is. It's very, it's very hard because here's the thing. You may, you may have a kid for two years. You may have a kid for one year. You may recruit this kid that, let's say that you go to, you know, you get a kid from, you know, let's say you get a kid from Jay's Rose, and he he's like a tweener, you know. He didn't get offered by a lot of people, you know, he's whatever. But all of a sudden, he, his rest of freshman year, he really, he really turns it on. And then all of a sudden, by the time you invest in it, this kid jumps up and he transfers somewhere else. You know, so I mean, so that's the hard part about the culture is the fact that you have so much turnover. But so that means that the coaches have to do a really good job in um, making sure that the the rest of the guys that they have, because not everybody's transferring. You still got a team. You got a majority of the people are still going to be there. You got to do a really good job of of, of making sure those guys um buying into what you're what you, with the program that you're trying to present to them and try to and try to lead um but and you got to do a good job of getting whenever new pieces come in you got to do a good job of vetting those people and ha- surrounding those people the newer people with guys your culture has to be strong so they can now direct these new guys to what the culture is too because it's, it's not just the coaches doing it you have to have it's got to be player led if it's all coach led, then it's going to be you're not going you're not going to succeed. Mark Gillock with us, and we talked earlier, coach. You said you know if the right opportunity presents itself, you would like to get back in coaching. There's some other former Pirates in the area that feel the same as well. Um, 
how much do you, I don't know if enjoy is the right word, but how much do you kind of follow what's going on on a day-to-day basis, you know, with kind of what you're doing, you know, full-time now? Like, do you do you have time to just follow the coaching landscape and then IL stuff? Or, like, is it just, like, even as, you know, as a full-time reporter for ECU, like, I get overwhelmed by all the information out there. So what's it like kind of, you've been in it for so long, Coach. What's it like being on the outside for a little bit, trying to take it all in and all the chaos right now? Well, it's kind of, I don't have the pressure trying to get a guy. You know, I don't have the pressure of having to go and call and chase down this recruit or, you know, or be on the road or get – because most of these coaches now, they're flying somewhere. I think the dead period was uh, last week. But um, it could be be this week too. I'm not sure when the dead period is. That part of it, I got to look at the calendar or whatever. Yeah, I think it's open until the 18th. Right now, okay. So yeah, because so it's open right now. So most of these coaches are on the road right now, seeing these guys right now. As we speak right now, they're in a airport, high school, somebody's house. You know, trying to lock down this first sign on uh, the um, the December signing period, or to 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 flip somebody, or to get a you know a balance it all. So no, I don't. I don't that opportunity. I love doing those things. But do I miss the pressure and getting the kid and all the other stuff? No, I don't miss that right now. <laughs> but um, but no, it's it's it's, it's wild though because things change in a heartbeat, and and you just gotta that's just you just gotta as a coach just be able to go with the flow and 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 flow with things, you know. No doubt, he is Mark Yellock, and coach, we've appreciated your time this fall, this uh, early winter getting you on the show and providing some insight. I know Pirate fans always love hearing from you, and so we uh, wish you the best. We'll, we'll get you on again after the new year if you know, you're know you not back in the coaching world, but we do hope you know if that if that right opportunity comes along that you're able to get on it. So we appreciate it either way, man, but looking forward to, uh, to more chats down the line. Man, I appreciate you. Um, you do a good job of, of covering um, this this program and, and, and everything and I know a lot of times people give you a lot of slack on on a lot of things but I think that you I think you hit it right on the head on a lot of things. I think you look you, you come at it at the right perspective and, and, and um there's some brighter days ahead in, in, in with this program. I think that people just need to understand that this is how things go sometimes we just need to, you know, continue to hold the standard that we have but have some better understanding and patience on how things is gonna go. No doubt, Coach. Hopefully we can sing the fight song a few more times in the future. There you go. There you go. But I appreciate you. Absolutely. There's Mark Yellock. We will uh, connect with him down the line at some point. Always great to catch up with Coach Yellock on Hoist the Colors. All right. We will take a break. On the other side, we're going to come back. We'll switch gears. We will talk to Chris Hummer. He is our national reporter on 24-7 Sports, covering the transfer portal and coaching news across the country. We will talk to Chris. On the other side, you're listening to Hoist the Colors on a Thursday. This is ECU head football coach Mike Houston, and you're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. Welcome back in to Hoist the Colors on this Thursday, December 7th edition of the program and there is a ton going on across college football transfer portal nil reporting coaching changes and one of the guys who is covering it the best for 24 7 sports part of uh, our network definitely over at hoist the colors and across the 24 7 sports landscape is national college football writer chris hummer 
And Chris, I got to ask you, you cover the portal, you cover coaching changes. So how much sleep are you getting these days? <laughs> Not enough, but it's that time of year. So it's all good. No um, doubt. We, uh, we sleep in February, I guess, as they would say. Yeah. Yeah. I guess we got to, we got to follow John Rothstein's, uh, words there and come up with a football uh, anecdote for that. So, Chris, we'll start first with uh, the ECU angle. Obviously, we cover East Carolina here on Hoist the Colors. And uh, you know, the, the, the hiring of John David Baker as offensive coordinator. Now, I was looking back during the process when I first heard his name. It was back in 2020. You put out your annual 30 under 30 coaching list. And John David Baker at that time was on USC staff and got a mention on that list. And you kind of do your research and put together these names. So take us through back then what you know about John David Baker and, uh, you know, kind of your, your perception of this hire a little bit as time has moved on. And now he's getting his first OC job at East Carolina. Yeah, well, John David Baker is somebody that came on my radar way back at UNT uh, when he was there as an offensive quality control coach. I think he was there with Graham Harrell at the time, um, and I remember um, people on that UNT staff talking really highly of him. Um, and then he went to USC, I believe, with Graham Harrell, um, who had a, I guess, like a brief but maybe necessarily unmemorable stint there uh, in Los Angeles. And I think Baker was like probably going to get on the list no matter what, um, but it made it a pretty, it was pretty much a slam dunk once Clay Heldon put him on the field as tight ends coach in that um, 2020 season. Um, he was somebody that was really well-respected at the time, um, came very highly recommended, former Adeline Christian quarterback, um, who a lot of people viewed as a future play caller, which he obviously is now, I think, probably at like 33 or 34. Um, so it was a pretty easy inclusion on the list for uh, for me, at least. And uh, he's one of the – he's making us look good, which I appreciate. Um, we don't always hit on the 30 under 30 list. That's there. Batting percentage is better than most, but um, I do always like seeing uh, former members um, ascend the way he has, and he certainly has. Take us through the before we get into kind of his new role at ECU. You put together this thirty under thirty list, like you said. You, you have to try and rely on contacts in the industry, and you know you guys uh, piece it together every every year. And so, w what goes into that process? How many? kind of phone calls you have to make to uh, to feel good about the list you're putting together because that's a lot of names and like you said early in their career you have to you know kind of take some leaps of faith at, faith at times I never I mean I never feel great and I mean to be honest I'm looking at the list um, and the two names right next to each other in 2020 for that list are Keenan Bailey and John David Baker and both of them interviewed for the ECOC job um, so in that case we did a decent job um, but it's just it's a lot of phone calls. Like it's a lot of phone calls, a lot of text messages. Um, it's a lot of asking people you trust and then asking some people you don't know, hoping to just get a general opinion. Um, and it's also just like a little bit of projection, honestly. Um, I think if it sounds stupid, but like if you're looking for a tiebreaker on some of this stuff, sometimes it's like who you're attached to, because that's how you get bigger jobs in college football. Um, it's a it's a lot of little things that kind of add up, but um, the large majority of it is just relying on contacts throughout the industry, and then taking whatever data you have. And some of these guys have worked with or worked as position coaches before. Some of them have worked as analysts and worked with specific players um, that can give you a decent picture of uh, what a coach will be like in the future potentially. 
We're visiting with Chris Hummer, national college football writer for 24-7 Sports, also covers the transfer portal, which we will get into. So John David Baker gets the job at East Carolina. Mike Houston, he was coming off back-to-back bowl seasons. There was even some talk about him getting some Power 5 looks after last year. He comes into this year, new offensive personnel, and the offense just tanked. They actually had a top 40 defense, but they, they ranked, I think, 127th in total offense near the bottom in scoring. They had to make an OC change. Out goes Donnie Kirkpatrick. In comes John David Baker. What What's kind of your perception of this hire? I mean, locally, Chris, it's more of a – some people kind of see it as a, a boomer bust hire in terms of the guy's going to be a first-time play caller, but you look at who he's been around, Lane Kiffin, Jeff Lebby, Graham Harrell, Seth Luttrell, Clay Helton. So he's obviously studied – under those names, but is it a scenario where we'll just kind of have to wait and see how this all plays out as he's a first-time OC? Yeah, um, I mean, I'm probably more bullish than most, uh, given um, my history, I guess, there with John David Baker. Um, but he is, he is obviously not called plays, but as you said, he's been around a laundry list of um, really successful um, coaches. And also, like, I mean, frankly, I've heard he's a pretty detail-oriented guy. Um, he's somebody that's going to bring some fresh ideas in East Carolina, which is obviously needed. Had East Carolina had even an average offense this year. Um, they have a much, much different season. Um, as you said, that defense uh, really played hard this year and really played well at times and was put in a really bad position. So I think he is a hire worth making. I think he is somebody that those in the industry view as a power five play caller in the future. Um, and I think for him at least this is a pretty appealing job because like there's only <laughs> the only place you can go with it is up right um and i think uh given the people he's been around uh, given the way people talk about him i expect him to be at least uh reasonably successful at east carolina it might not be an immediate turnaround um and mike houston certainly needs to turn around to happen really quickly um but i think the offense is certainly going to be better next year with him calling plays one of the things ECU is in the market for, which a lot of teams are in this transfer portal, is a quarterback. You know, not that I think ECU's kind of got to wait wait things out. I mean, they're they're contacting a lot of quarterbacks, from what I understand, but there, there's kind of a there's different levels to this, and so they almost have to kind of be patient, but also you know try to talk to as many guys as possible. What's your assessment of the the quarterback transfer market at this time, Chris? Like, how quickly is it moving? When will the dominoes really start to fall? What's your assessment of that as we sit here on Thursday? I wrote about it yesterday, um, specifically, and I the dominoes are already falling. Uh, we've had three Power 5 quarterbacks commit um, in the last week or so, including two yesterday with Tyler Schock to Louisville, um, Brennan Soresby to Cincinnati, and, oh, I'm sorry, we had three yesterday, and Brock Vandegrift to... Uh, Uh, to Kentucky. So I think you're going to see the dominoes pick up steam pretty quickly. I would expect schools like Oregon, um, schools like Notre Dame to have um, transfer commitments here pretty soon. I'm at the quarterback position. And I think given given the speed at which the market is moving for the most part, I think you're going to see dominoes fall reasonably quickly. Um, Some guys like Cam Ward will take a little longer than others. Um, But I think in a lot of these cases, guys like Dylan Gabriel and Riley Leonard will be off the board pretty quickly. And then do you feel like once those top-level guys goes, there's kind of like a trickle-down effect, and then maybe we we see some big dominoes fall this weekend, and then it goes to more of the second- and third-tier guys? Because obviously schools at the top level of the market, they're paying a certain price that you know other schools can't afford. So is it, it's almost like a situation in December. Maybe we see each wave fall every, every few days or so to speak. Yeah, I think it's – I mean, I think it's very – 
akin to high school recruiting, um, the quarterback position right now. But um, I think you're certainly right about that. Um, the second week of December, you're probably going to start seeing even more quarterbacks off the board. And at that point, I think you can really, if you're like, especially an American group of five team, um, one of the upper tier G5 teams looking for a quarterback, you can start pushing guys pretty quickly after that. Um, because there's only one quarterback who can play at every school and these grad and these transfers are especially sensitive to that. They're transferring for a reason and it's to play. So I would expect the market to pick up pace pretty quickly. Uh, once a couple more of these dominoes tip over because it only takes, it really only takes a few, uh, for people to start scrambling for spots. And I think we'll certainly see that. Chris Hummer is with us. He covers the transfer portal and also coaching news, everything college football for 24 seven sports. And is there a position outside of quarterback that you feel is, is pretty stacked early on in the transfer portal process? Like, are there a lot of talent rich guys at one particular position or is it more spread pretty evenly? Um, I mean, I would say right now, quarterback's the deepest. Um, I know that sounds ridiculous, but um, it really is. Like, there's so many quarterbacks in the portal right now. I don't think any team is going to come up lacking uh, for a decent quarterback. Although I will say, like, it depends on how you feel about somebody. Like, somebody like Hank Bachmeyer is getting legitimate power five interest right now. Um, so um, maybe it'll be a little thinner than I think. But I, I think there's some good quarterbacks in the portal. Um I think people automatically assume wide receivers deep, but I would argue wide receiver is pretty top heavy. I think there's about 10 or 15 receivers that really matter. And then the next like 20 to 200 are pretty much the same thing. Um, I would argue probably the thinnest position right now, and this is a weird one because it's usually the deepest is running back. There just haven't been a lot of top tier running backs go in. A lot of the top tier running backs that we expected to go in have decided to stay in school. Um, and then, as always, like DB's pretty deep. A lot of really good corners out there. Um, a lot of really good safeties right now. Everybody's looking for an offensive lineman. Everybody's looking for an edge rusher. No doubt, offensive line and edge rusher, man. There's never enough of those guys to go around uh, across the country. Chris, when you talk to your sources, when you talk to recruits or just guys in the portal or coaches, whatever. How much of a sense do you get of the, like the NIL market, and do you get actual numbers on what quarterbacks are being offered? You know, we heard Matt Rule say, "Hey, top level quarterbacks are going for one million to one point five million." Like, do you feel like those numbers thrown around are accurate, or is some of this stuff hyperbole at the end of the day? Or what's kind of your gut feel on just this NIL market and how much that's changing the the transfer market? Um, it's a pretty significant um, part of the transfer market right now. I don't think it's the only thing that matters for a lot of guys, but it's certainly a thing that matters and it's out there. And if you don't have an NIL package for a quarterback, especially an upper tier quarterback, you're not going to get one. Um, I would say what Matt rule said, which I believe was 1.5 to two is aggressive. I don't think it's quite that high um, for an upper tier quarterback. I think a million dollars even is probably a much better um, estimate it what it would take to get a top tier quarterback. Um, but even a mid tier quarterback, um, in the transfer portal market is probably commanding mid six figures. Um, and I, I shouldn't say probably, like they definitely are. Um, I think other positions really vary, like a top end player, probably mid six figures at like wide receiver edge or offensive tackle. Um, you could maybe fetch that, but I think a pretty okay rule of thumb and this is i'm still like poking around on this so i wouldn't take this as gospel is like if you're a power five starter you're probably like around 100 and if you're like a good power five starter you're probably closer to like a quarter of a million dollars 
Um, but this is all really fluid. Um, there's no real set numbers in stone because players can literally tell schools anything and they have to try to figure out facts and fiction. Um, so I'm personally still also trying to get a hold of this market. Um, I think it's quite as hot as some people might think it is in terms of money. Crazy times in college football. Uh, and you guys do your transfer portal rankings, Chris, and I know that that's an ongoing process trying to keep up with all these guys. So give our, our listeners some some you know, idea or feedback on, hey, if they want to go to 24-7 sports and read about more about the transfer portal market or see the rankings, how can they do that? And then how much goes into that process for you guys as a, a national team? Yeah, I mean, first, um, we literally have a transfer portal tab on all of our um, team site pages, all of our um, national home pages. You just click on the transfer portal link, and there's a button that says top football transfers. You can see the top players in the portal. Um, at any time. As for how they rank them, um, we have a team of people on um, our back end who grind this time of year, uh, trying to grade out thousands of players um, in a short amount of time. Um, they watch a lot of tape. Um, uh, we can see every snap a FBS or FBS player played um, uh, all year um, and, and in their career. So they grind that. We ask for feedback from colleges as well to try to get a picture of it and then also try to take in the context of what they were as high school recruits in some cases, especially if they were a first or second year player. And then you do all that to kind of create a picture of what a player could be at his next school. Um, it's not scientific, uh, but we try to make it as scientific as possible. Let's talk a few coaching notes, then we'll get you out of here, Chris, before you go. Uh, a couple local schools here at uh, in Greenville, North Carolina, you guys and, and Matt on 24-7 Sports reported Duke is targeting Penn State defensive coordinator Manny Diaz as its head coaching candidates. What, what are your thoughts on the potential fit of Manny Diaz at Duke? Obviously, he would be replacing Mike Elko, who did a heck of a job before taking the A&M job. Do you feel like that's a good fit if they can close in on that hire? I do. Um, I think I think Manny Diaz got a pretty raw deal at Miami, um, to be honest. If everybody remembers how that situation went, uh, Miami had a really rocky start to the season. But then they closed out the year winning five of six games. Tyler Van Dyke looked like a future first-round pick that year. That's when he made his debut. Um, and then Miami fired him um, as boosters pursued Mario Cristobal. And I know the record-to-record um, -record thing isn't always comparable, but Manny Diaz was, I think, like seven games over 500 at Miami, and Mario Cristobal is currently a 500 coach at Miami. So those changes don't always um, work out the way people think, and I'm not saying Mario Cristobal won't work out long-term. Um, but I think Manny Diaz is a really well-respected head coach, or a uh, really respected coach. Um, he obviously did wonders with the Penn State defense the last two years. Um, a top 10 unit both seasons. Uh, this year, they, never, they had the number one defense in the country in terms of yards allowed per play. Um, Manny Diaz is a good recruiter. Um, and I think he is the type of coach that can maintain what Mike Elko did at Duke. Um, obviously not the same person, but similar defensive stylings. Um, I think Manny Diaz brings a slightly different sort of energy uh, from Mike Elko. But I do think that Duke job, while there are some hurdles, um, especially from an academic standpoint in terms of recruiting, and frankly, um, some hurdles um, in terms of funding in some places, I still think Manny Diaz could be really successful at Duke um, and continue what Mike Elko has done. Chris, when you look across the coaching landscape and the moves that have made and that have been made in the carousel this offseason, is there like an under the radar move or two that you have really liked to this point as far as whether it be head coaching or even a coordinator change that you feel like could pay big dividends for schools uh, that, that's happened thus far this offseason? 
trying to think of everything that's happened. Um, I think the Jonathan Smith hire at Michigan State, I know it's not really under the radar. I think it was a great one. He is a great coach, um, and I think he's going to be very successful there. Uh, I know it's hard to pull him away from his alma mater, but um, I think they got a great coach that cycle. Um, I'm trying to think of who else. I think the Scott, I mean, this is very under the radar, but um, UTEP hired Scotty Walden, who is literally the exact opposite as Dana Dimmel. Um, Scotty's young. Dana was old school um, from that Bill's Matter Tree. Um, Dana Dimmel built his program through JUCO recruiting uh, for the most part, much like Bill Snyder did. Um, I think Scotty Walden's going to approach it in a much different way. Um, and Scotty Walden's a West Texas guy. Um, he got his coaching career start in Alpine, Texas, uh, which is about as West Texas as you can get. Um, and now he's coaching about an hour and a half away in El Paso. And I think he'll do a really nice job um, for that program and reinvent a program that frankly needs it. Um, so I, I really did like that hire. He is Chris Hummer. Check out his work. Follow him on Twitter or X, whatever we call it these days, at Chris underscore Hummer. Chris, we appreciate the time on Hoist the Colors, man. We'll have to get you back on down the road, but know you're busy, so we'll let you get back to the following the transfer portal. I know it never stops. Yeah, anytime, man. Thanks so much. Absolutely. There's Chris Hummer. That'll do it for this segment. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back on Hoist the Colors. Climb aboard as we set sail and hoist the colors. Back to the show with Steve and I go on 94.3 The Game. Welcome back in. Hoist the colors on a Thursday. We've had some great chats with Mark Yellock, former ECU defensive line coach, and also Chris Hummer, 24-7 sports national college football writer. Really enjoyed catching up with those two guys. A few news and notes. We got a comment from... Samurai on YouTube. He says ECU offered Wesley Grimes. Get him to Greenville. Yeah, so Wesley Grimes is about one of probably 20 to 30 receivers in the transfer portal to report an ECU offer. If you are a receiver and you have caught a pass in a live college football game, I can almost guarantee you you have been reached out to and have been offered by East Carolina's coaching staff. He is a transfer from Wake Forest by way of Millbrook High School in Raleigh. Had 20 catches for 339 yards and four touchdowns last season. Sounds great in theory, but he's also got offers from Cincinnati, Vanderbilt, NC State, West Virginia, Liberty, USF, Georgia State, and Coastal Carolina. So he is being very heavily recruited. ECU is efforting along with a few other guys. They've offered a few uh, other ACC receivers. And we've got that running list on the hoistacolors.net. So we will continue to uh, keep you updated there. We'll get more clear ind- indication of visits and realistic targets as time goes on. So uh, we'll keep you updated on the transfer portal market going forward. Some coaching news, East Carolina. It's not 100% official yet, but it is going to happen. We mentioned on the show yesterday, Matt Maddox will be the new offensive line coach at East Carolina. Now, he is well-traveled, and I've gotten a lot of comments about, hey, this guy's moved around, bounced around from staff to staff. You know, is he the best hire for ECU? Well, here's the deal. He wasn't just bouncing around for the heck of it. He was following Sterling Gilbert, who was the high school coach of John David Baker, and Gilbert was the OC at all these stops, so really he was following Sterling Gilbert to all these places, Eastern Illinois, Bowling Green, Tulsa, Texas, USF, McNeese State, and then he latched on with UTSA, 
was a part of back-to-back Conference USA Championships in 21-22. He stayed there for three years, was a major part of Jeff Trailer's success, so has a really good resume. Left Purdue due to personal reasons, family reasons this past spring, now gets back into coaching. He's been around Graham Harrell. He's been around Sterling Gilbert. Those two guys are tied, of course, to John David Baker, so he's familiar with the system. I think it's a really strong hire on paper. We'll see how it plays out. All right, Philip Pilkington is producing. I want to bring him in for this discussion. We touched on it briefly at the top of the show. Mike Oresco is retiring at the end of the academic year, and I was touching on it before we got Coach Yellock on, but you know has taken some flack like anybody in a position of power, but I think has done far more than good. Former TV exec, understands the landscape of college football and TV, how important it is. He's landed a few mega deals with ESPN. So this is a big loss for the American. Philip. when you heard this news, what was your take and uh, what was kind of your feelings on the, the future of the American Conference as a result? Yeah, I look, he's however old he is. So I, I didn't totally catch me by surprise. I thought we, you know, we kind of talked about during the breaks, we thought there'd be some, you know, some rumblings before it just broke. But um, he really did do a lot for this conference. You know, he's the only commissioner we've ever had. And he has had it in a very tough time. There's been a lot of conference realignment, a lot of teams getting poached, not his fault. And I think he's done the best job he can replacing them. You know, replacing teams is not just as simple as calling up some school's athletic director and then, you know, saying, hey, yeah, come to our conference. You know, you mentioned the TV thing. That's got to work out. Part of those TV contracts, those companies like ESPN have to approve who's coming to your conference for different reasons. He's done a wonderful job. As for the future, you know, if he's going to leave, I guess it's kind of a good time. We kind of talked about this too during the break because I think conference realignment, at least at this level, is going to shimmer down for a year or two. I think there's going to have to be a, a big domino fall with the football teams moving on, the Oklahomas and Texases and Alabamas of the world first. So it's going to allow the new commissioner to kind of get in and get stable within the conference prior to the American then having to make those moves once that domino falls because it would really stink if he was in here say for another year and left right in the middle of that but I wish him all the best in retirement he's uh, been great to get to know and uh, talk with over the past few years and uh, I think he really has done a wonderful job. Mike Oresco, according to an article in June of 2023, was 73 at that time. So, yeah, in his 70s, mid-70s, it makes sense, uh, especially in the stressful college football era. He has done a great job. So a couple key things here. The American, as it stands right now, is the most lucrative of the group of five conferences. So, therefore, they have the most money to spend. So they could technically try and pry away one of the commissioners from the lower uh, conferences if they feel like one of those would be the answer, or they could go in a different direction. We'll see what that process is like going forward. The other thing is the TV deal, 12-year deal, uh, signed in 2020, runs through 2031-32 and is worth an average of $83.3 million a year. So it was about a billion-dollar contract uh, that Oresco signed. When that date nears its end, that'll be the first huge, along with conference realignment decision, the new American Athletic Conference commissioner will have to either renegotiate, uh, figure out whether to stay with ESPN, go to a different TV partner. Who knows what the landscape of college football will look like in 2030 or thereabouts, but that's a huge decision uh, Oresco's replacement will have to make. And then who knows what the conference will look like from an expansion standpoint come that time. So 
luckily that is several years away, but that is kind of the big sticking point for the new commissioner coming in when that hire is made. All right, let's get our final break in. We'll come back. We'll have final thoughts and wrap up the show here on a Thursday. This is Hoist the Colors. We're live with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Hoist the Johnny Roger! Now, back to Hoist the Colors. Welcome back in. Hoist the Colors. Final segment. Just a few minutes left. Philip Pilkington producing today. And we were trying to tally up our picks. Because Joe Sampson coming on the show tomorrow. What we're going to do is, as a heads up, we're going to continue to pick NFL games on Friday, and then tomorrow we are also going to relive our preseason ECU football picks. And, Philip, I have a feeling this is going to be a disastrous segment unless we just laugh at ourselves the entire time because there's no way any of us came close to hitting on many of those categories. Look, one of two things has to happen tomorrow. We either laugh at ourselves or all three fall into a deep depression. So uh, let's just choose to laugh at ourselves because that is our only hope. Yeah, I mean, we so we have game-by-game picks and, like, stat categories, right? Yeah, we were like, will there be a 100-yard rusher? Will there be a 100-yard receiver? Who's going to lead the team in this category, that category? What co- quarterback was going to start the most games? Hence, I think we all picked Mason. Oof. That was incorrect. Alex Flynn, believe it or not, started 9 of 12 games. So we'll get into that tomorrow and uh, – see how badly we did on our game-by-game picks. We were also reviewing our picks against the spread. We've been doing college and NFL all season long on Fridays. And, Philip, you had a rare off week. I'm tallying it up now. You went 1-4 and four in college, and I believe 1, maybe, oh, wait. No, I got the Texans, right? Okay, 1-4 one and, four, one and four in college, 1-4 in pro. Now, you still probably have a safe lead because you're way ahead of me and Joe, but you were due for a, a down week. You're going to have to rally hard. Yeah, I guess all good things must come to an end, and unfortunately it did for my hot streak. But, uh, you know, it's about how you bounce back and uh, got to give the team a good motivational speech going into the uh, show tomorrow. And we're going to pick Army-Navy for college, and then we're trying to figure out how we're going to do the bowl season. We're going to talk about that off the air tomorrow, but we're going to incorporate bowl picks into our selection as well. We'll continue through NFL. I mean, it's still amazing, Philip. The the NFL, what is there, still five, six weeks left? Uh, I think last week was week 13, and so now you've got 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. Yeah, 18 weeks, which is just too long. Still, Still five weeks to go. And it's just, for me, it's it's gotten too long. I, I love NFL. I love football. But the product, honestly, hasn't been great this year with all the quarterback injuries. And I just feel like this season is too long now. Am I wrong? No, you're, you're, you're 100% on because the 17th game is stupid. Um, it messes up the scheduling. Like I said, it's, this crap should not be ending the regular season in mid-January. Like, I don't know, man. It's Like, the Super Bowl used to be in mid-January. Now, I'm not saying go back to 14 games, but, yeah, I just... I, I could go on a total rant. That's kind of why I'm, like, avoiding going too much deep down a hole here. So, like, a minute and a half left, and I could I could go on this one for a little while. Yeah, and another reason why. Maybe I would, I would want the season longer if the Denver Broncos beat the Texans and were in the playoff mix right now. I mean, they're still in the mix, but now they got to really... Went out, so we'll we'll look at an updated playoff picture tomorrow as well, and get into that, and maybe get uh, Phillips' latest rant on the Carolina Panthers. 
like we do most Fridays, uh, or at least once a week. So we'll do that as they continue to drop games. But looking forward to tomorrow's show with Joe Sampson. And then again, Monday, we will have John Gilbert on to talk about this crazy proposal from the NCAA to Division One schools and uh, much more. He is scheduled to be on Monday's show. And then Joe Sampson tomorrow. Thanks again to Mark Yellock and Chris Hummer. Fun show. Also, thanks to our viewers uh, and comments as well. This has been Hoist the Colors. We will see you tomorrow at 12 noon.